Welcome back to another episode of the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Mudgear Hannibal Race Pro, Evan Preparis. We've got two guests with us today. Before we get to them, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Hammer Nutrition. If you're interested in endurance racing, you're going to want to check out Hammer Nutrition. That's what I use for all of my fueling for endurance events. So I've used them for, well, I don't know, since 2014, I think was the first time I used them. And I've been using them since then. They're, my favorite product of theirs is Perpetuum. It's a fat-carb protein blend. That's what I fuel for things like World's Toughest Mudder, Toughest Mudder. And then I also use their heat products, uh, Electrolyte, a carb drink mix, and then uh, their gels. So you're going to want to check them out. I think my refer- referral code slash discount code still works, 240887. That's 240887. Uh, you can enter it on com, And I think you get 15% off with that. So great product. If anyone has any questions about them, you're welcome to hit me up. I also recommend their REM caps. They are help you sleep deeply, especially when you have a big race coming up. It's a little bit of melatonin, 5-HTP. You take that, you fall asleep real real nice and good and deep, and then you're ready to race on race day. All right, let's get to today's guests. Uh, we'll have them say hi. Uh, joining me, I have... Uh, hi, I'm I'm Taryn Brees. Taryn and Weston. Weston Titus. Yeah, there we go. So I'm going to touch on some of their bio, and then we'll kind of deep dive into some of the, the big stuff they have going on. Uh, so starting with Taryn, owns... Uh, Group fitness trainer at uh, two F45 training gyms, master's degree in kinesthesiology, specific in the areas of human movement, performance, strength, and conditioning. A yes. collegiate varsity volleyball player. Uh, got involved in some obstacle course racing slash endurance events, specifically Ultimate Suck, 36-hour event. Um, Spartan, a couple Spartan races, including Ultra, Spartan Hurricane Heat, Six Go Rec events, Mount Whitney Summit, Summit. And this summer is doing the Spartan Death Race. That is true. <laughs> All true. All right. And, and Weston also got a um, owns operates two F forty five gyms. Health and Correct. fitness. Health kinesiology college professor, finishing up sports performance PhD with a research focus on CBD and muscle recovery. Super interesting. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then uh, done a whole bunch of endurance events including Spartan Ultras, six trifectas, two Hurricane Heats, six Go Rucks, one Iron Man, two iron half irons, and uh four Mount Whitney ascents. So welcome, you do. Thank you. Cool. So let's uh oh, so much so much knowledge on the podcast. I don't I'm not even sure where to start. Let's let's start yeah. Let's start off with Let's just jump right into death race right at the beginning, and then, and then we'll jump back and cover some of your background a little more. Yeah, so sure. I think most of our listeners know what death race is, but uh, in, just in case they don't, give us like a, a couple minute summary of what death race is. Okay, so I'll take this one. So the death race, as a lot of the things with the in the OCR world, right, is a little bit unknown. But in general, uh, the summer death race specifically is usually hosted in, in Vermont at uh, – Joe DeSena's family farm. Um, and it's anywhere between 50 to 70 hours of anything they can think of. Uh, rucking, farmers carry, thousands of burpees, uh, very little to zero sleep. Um, really anything that they can think of that is going to break us mentally and physically. This year, there is a little twist. I'm not sure if this is 
been made public yet or just the potential participants know, um, they are strongly, extremely recommending that we go out two days before the actual event starts. Um, and there's a uh, military college, military university out there called Norwich University that's about 40 minutes north of the farm. And they are doing a, an event for the first time um, they've ever run. Um, we don't have a lot of information about it, but we are both signed up for that as well. It's a two-day event um, leading straight into the death race. So we basically expect our death race total experience to be five, six five or six days long. Um, <laughs> with not a whole lot of knowledge of what we're going into, we don't even have the equipment lists um, yet. We do know that we need to be good at chopping wood. That's kind of the, <laughs> that's all we've been told. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, I said a death race is what, what I call, it falls into what I call assessment and selection type events. So it's these mm. unknown, you know, length, time or distance wise with a bunch of random challenges, kind of really pushing people's mental and physical limits. So you, you both seem to have a history of doing several of these, including like go rucks and hurricane heats. Yes. Um, so why, I'm curious to know the why on both of them. So, you know, why death race? Why not go for one of the other, you know, events, selection type things? Um, yeah, we'll go, we'll start there. Um, so for me, um, kind of winding back. So I was a collegiate volleyball player. And after I graduated college, um, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And with my life, I'd played sports my whole life. And now I'm not. So I... When I was getting my master's, there's this event, which you had mentioned, I completed um, the Ultimate Suck, which is a 36-hour long event. Um, I volunteered for it one year during my master's program, and I was like, these people are crazy. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. So I decided just to up and do it, completed it. And with that, then I fell in love with kind of the world of this ultra endurance or you know, selection, death race kind of style, unknown um, events. And so for me, um, it's the, I think it's the unknown that just gets me knowing that I will have to do whatever task or so is asked um, and do that task, but also be able to be ready to do it for the next, do any other task for the next 36, 50, however many days, hours it's going to be. Um, I think the body is an amazing thing. Um, mm -hmm. And so finding kind of the limits and being able to break through those limits and find new limits is, I get a kind of a, I don't know if it's an adrenaline rush and all this, I just get this high off of it that kind of just feels weird that I've never felt before. So for me, it's the unknown and the limits and seeing what I'm truly capable of doing. Yeah, I mean, when you go through something that hard and that challenging, you know, going through your endurance resume, right, you do get a feeling of accomplishment. That's, uh, I think that's why yeah. a lot of us just keep coming back, that 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 sense of satisfaction when you cross the finish line. Correct, you... and so now it's like, well, I did that, but what's next now? Like, how yep. far can I truly go and find it. and feel and get that kind of feeling again? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely get it. I think... Um, some of our listeners have heard me say this before, but for, for I'm, my background's in the military. So for when I tell some of my military friends, like, this is what civilians do for fun. They're like, what? No, that's not true. That it's not true. And I'm like, 
I can start pulling up articles and video and pictures and they're like, what is wrong with people? It's like, yeah, I, I get it. Um, but it, yeah. it, it's just funny to hear that. What about you, Weston? Anything to add to that? So, I mean, pretty similar. I, I came out of youth and high school playing team sports. And that was where then I kind of transitioned into Ironman. I didn't really know about Spartan or OCR at that point. Um, so I, I made that transition from team sports to individual sports, just because, you know, when you're no longer in school, it becomes a lot harder to find a group of people, a team to consistently play with. So transition into those individual sports. Um, I know we're not on video. I'm not really built for Ironman. I'm, I'm six, five two sixty. uh, in my Ironman, it was kind of a joke. Like I finished strong. I did, I did well, but, uh, I have some pictures from the race or some of the uh, halves that I've done where I'm, you know, going for the jog, the marathon or the half marathon, and I'm next to someone that is literally half my size. Yeah. And so it's just kind of fun. <laughs> the The OCR world, I'm still probably, I'm, I'm not going to podium. I just have too much body. It's a um, lot of mass to move. It's but a lot of mass. but it's it, it's mostly strength. You know, it's 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 a uh, it's it's strong, but that's so moving the objects, having some of those things, adding in like the rucks or the cinder block burpees or, or whatever it is, I feel like I am slightly better suited to the OCR world compared to marathon, Ironman, just lightweight running. Um, but yeah, it, and, and mine's a little bit of the mental aspect too. As Taryn talked about finding the limits of the physical body and training the physical body, that part's awesome too. But I, I also really enjoy kind of the finding the darkness and not mm. letting it overwhelm you, staying optimistic, having some fun with it. Um, I know I've gotten some weird looks at some of the events when it's two in the morning and whoever's leading the event, depending upon what uh, is going on. And, you know, it's all right. You're going out four inches into the water and you're doing a hundred burpees. And I kind of start to laugh and cheer everyone on and everyone else is at this weird kind of dark place. And I'm like, you just have to like, we're just going to get it. We're going to get through it. And finding that mental grit is really what I love about this sport and why I'm pushing it to the to the death race for this summer. Gotcha. Well, if it was a year or two ago, I would encourage you to sign up for Tough Mudder's Infinite Hero Honor Challenge because I was the one behind running that program for the last two years. But they apparently – they well, not apparently. They did cut it this year, so it is currently no longer a thing. But if you want a different type of experience – Start shooting Tough Mudder some emails and messages um, okay. to do that. So that just like Hurricane Heat has a very Spartan flavor and mm-hmm. death race where there's a lot of burpees and stuff. The Infinite Hero Challenge um, has a Tough Mudder flavor. So just like it's, it's a little more, I'm, I'm going to say fun, but there's, there's still <laughs> a lot of challenges and uh, a little friendly. There's no burpees. That was, that was one of my rules. Um, <laughs> But it was kind of team building and physically challenging, and uh, you know it takes about eight to ten hours typically. So, gotcha. But yeah, too bad. It, it's no longer going on, but maybe we can bring it back. We'll see. Maybe? You do have a both. You have a deep uh, uh, pedigree in your know, kinesiology and background. So, what do you do to train for something like this? And how much of it's physical? I would say, and then I guess how much of it's mental. So, just kind of expand on your training specifically for this upcoming death race. So that that's one of the things that I think we both really like about it, but it's also one of the things that's the most challenging, right? Because we could show up and even with an equipment list on an event like this, 
there's no reason that we have to use all of the equipment or that they don't have a shed full of other equipment and it's all just like a red herring. Yeah. So there is the, the training is extremely varied um, in terms of odd objects. We have, um, as we talked about before we hit the record button, we just went down and picked up a nice and heavy tire for tire flips and sledgehammer hits. And we've got a, driveway full of wood that we're chopping and we have atlas stones in the front yard but we also have rucks and we do different ruck lengths and basically we never do the same workout twice and we just try and balance the amount of volume that we're putting our bodies in to be physically prepared but also be able to recover so that we can push tomorrow because this is definitely not a sprint event so if we do 300 burpees today Maybe tomorrow we do a 20-mile ruck, but then the next day we do Atlas stone moves. Or So it, there's a lot of weight, object movements, volume in terms of burpees, push-ups, pull-ups. Um, but you mix and match those kind of around so that you can recover one part of your body while still pushing the other parts while maintaining a healthy balance of recovery and, and not overuse injuries. Gotcha. Do you take complete rest days during your week, like a no- normal training week? Like, are, are any of your days complete rest days, or are you always doing some sort of active recovery or something like that? I would say we try to. So Weston and I are both um, coaches. So Monday through Friday, we are always coaching classes. So with that, we do use those actual class time so we could be coaching um three to seven classes so that's three to seven hours out of our day um so monday through friday we don't but for sure on the weekends i would say we usually do one crazy long if it's a long ruck if it's a four to six hour workout and then after those long day those long workouts that's when we would usually have a full day of recovery and that's going to look more like a hot tub um, we may do some swimming of laps and stuff, but um, we're still trying to move, but it's very more active recovery, okay. very, very low stretching days and stuff like that. So and, you, you, oh, go for it. I was going to say, just for the listeners, um, the classes Taryn's, Taryn was talking about are F45 classes. So if you're not familiar with that, you can kind of think of uh, a CrossFit class. That's, that's not a great actual response but just in general so we're it's a hit it's a circuit training hit uh company that um i own and we run two locations here but uh that means that we're going in and every hour we're demoing movements and and correcting people and possibly leading warm-ups or showing modifications so even when we are you know quote not working out ourselves one of the major things that we do with a big portion of our day is still very physically active. So there are times when we get back from coaching four classes in a row and we might have demoed, you know, 55 bodyweight squats. And while that's not a ton, it's still not nothing. So for me, I kind of, I, my, my recovery days, I don't, ha- it's not always a Sunday or it's not always a Wednesday. It's, I would say it's about every 10 days, mm-hmm. but it, it comes more to, when it's time to go work out and I'm just not feeling it. Like it's more 
it's not that I'm sore. It's that I'm not motivated or I'm not looking forward to it. And I know then I usually know that it's time to maybe either take an easy day or cut the weight or the, the mileage or whatever, and, or maybe go do some mobility stuff. And because uh, an injury at this point, we're 49 days away from a death race or something. So a, an overuse injury would be way more detrimental to our performance than skipping one day of training. Yeah. And you, you, I did not mention it in your, in your bio, but you guys are engaged. So congratulations. Yes. And Thank you. What, um, you both, like, you both have backgrounds in, uh, kinesthesiology, right? So who is one of you doing the program and the other one's following, or do you alternate or is it just kind of a consensus? We're going to talk out and figure out. I feel like with, with both of you with such a depth of knowledge, it might be like, um, you know, some friction there on what we're doing for training each day. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't think there's too much friction in our personal training. I think a lot of times someone comes up with an idea. Um, maybe we saw something on Instagram in terms of, oh, we've never used a tire like this. Or, uh, you know, we have through all of these events that we've done, we have quite a few friends that we either chat with or follow them on Instagram or something. So if they pro- post a workout, maybe it's something we want to try or modify um our days don't overlap perfectly so sometimes Taryn might work out in the morning and I work out in the afternoon we do work out a lot of times together doing the same thing but there are certainly two or three days of the week where I get a two or three hour ruck in and she has done three f45 classes instead (laughs) just because or the other way around just because of how our schedules lined up that day so we don't have a lists that we're following a perfect set of programming we are kind of making it up as we go it's kind of fun because then we each have different ways to i guess you'd say torture each other (laughs) we kind of throw different um crazy ideas out right we've got to be able to get comfortable with being kind of uncomfortable because we're going to be in situations many situations during the death race that it's just going to suck so during our training coming up with something that's just going to be brutal and awful is like, well, this is what we're doing today. I just came up with it. So good luck. I know even if you don't want to do it, you're going to have to. (laughs) Yeah. I found like the more I programmed to the more like earlier in my athletic career, I feel like I was, I I did, I functioned a lot better with like strict written out plans. And Mm -hmm. as I've started racing more and just been more familiar with the principles of you know, recovery and training, I feel like winging it on some, you know, like having a couple of days earmarked and listening to my body tends to work better for me as I've kind of gotten older. But yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. If there's anyone listening that they're going into their first hurricane heat or, or something like that, then following, finding maybe a guide or something online or, or following some good programming is probably better than just trying to make it up every day when they roll out of bed. But the two of us combined have been doing this for so many years now and seen so many different methods of madness in these events that we're pretty good at making up the events for ourselves kind of in our backyard or neighborhood to make it work. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, one of the things we like to do on the podcast is ask people about some of their training background and specifically lessons we can pull from that and 
pull into obstacle course racing, uh, or in this case, maybe you know, the endurance type racing you guys are doing. So we'll start with Taryn. You know, yeah. anything we can pull from volleyball that you think applies to obstacle course racing or uh, endurance racing? Um. So. Yes. Um, the big thing I would probably pull from my personal volleyball career, um, I am five, seven, five, seven and a half, maybe whatever, but so I'm not a super tall person, but I wanted to be a hitter. Um, and if I was going to go to college, I needed to really, they're looking for tall people to be a hitter. Um, and so I needed to jump out of the gym. So if that's what I wanted to do, that's what I needed to be the best at doing. And so for me, dialing in kind of what I wanted to be good at, be the best at it. Um, so I worked on my jump and was able to not just let my height or something that um, would keep me from doing, becoming the best at, yes, I didn't have control of my height, but I had control of being able to be good at jumping um, and be the best at it. And so I would say, right, in OCR, grip strength is huge, right? It doesn't matter your height, your weight or so, but if you want to be good at OCR, you're going to have to have grip strength. So finding that thing that you, yes, you want to be, you know, do OCR is great. Then it doesn't matter what age, height, weight you are at, be work on your grip strength, become better at one thing that you do have control in. Um, so that's what I would say is it's more finding what you can control and being best at it or being better at it than, you know, than your colleague next to you or the people you're competing against versus always looking at what you don't have control on. Um, cause that's, you know, you can't, you have no control of it. You can't change anything when you can't there. So that's what I'd say I'd pull from volleyball, at least from my co um, college and my personal career. Yeah. I love it. No, I love that totally on board with, you know, controlling what you can control and um, not worrying about stuff you have no control over, you know? Sure. So I think that's a huge lesson to take away. Uh, Weston, same question, but try to focus more on if you have a basketball one, I know you played some basketball. In your yeah. I played some basketball. I think, um, let's see, we, we can, we can take this a little bit on the, the mental side since I said, that's what I focus on. Right. So going from a team sport, not all of these events are going to be team-based. Some are going to probably specifically individual. But in many of these events that we've done, they kind of force leadership or team building, communication, especially teamwork. Uh, so I think figuring out a way to be a leader but also be able to take uh, communication and, and input from someone who maybe isn't naturally a very good leader or communicator. If it's, you know, we're cycling through who's leading the group and everyone else is blindfolded or something. And the person who doesn't really want to be the leader, it's their time to lead understanding and giving them uh, some motivation and understanding that problems happen or maybe uh, giving them some examples on things that they can work on as well as being a good leader yourself with that teamwork and communication is always going to be key in a lot of these events uh, because that's really what most of them push, especially at the, I don't want to say beginner level because even like a four hour hurricane heat ride is still physically quite daunting for uh, probably everyone who signed up for it. 
But on those events, um, I think a lot of the companies, that's how they kind of sell them to the public is teamwork, uh, building of character, building of um, communication skills while under stress. So taking that from a team sport like basketball, where being able to know what your teammates going to do and talking and staying in communication in stressful situations is really key and working on that ability to do it. Gotcha. No, good. Good input there. With your with your background, so from, you know, I don't know how many OCR clients you, per se you have, but from what you've seen online as far as people training, anything you can pull out of like, all right, I see this, I see a lot of OCRs doing X, Y, or Z, which is not ideal to prepare for obstacle course racing, and they should be doing, you know, A, B, and C. Any Any thoughts on like the way people are training or do you have any visibility on that for specifically for obstacle course racing? Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things that I've noticed, and this might be not the best answer, but since we're put on the spot, <laughs> I see a lot. Of, I, I think I see a lot of people, right, posting their snapshots of Strava or, or Apple Watch or whatever it is that they're tracking their distance or time with, whether it's a run or a ruck or farmer's carry. And they're just not going far or fast enough or they're just not doing the volume but maybe they're not training for a 50-hour event though either but I, I a lot of times i see people like say the 12-hour go ruck tough challenge that's kind of go rucks that's what they started with that's kind of like i feel like maybe a pretty good solid middle point like that's a standard one of these events and people are doing 45-minute training sessions for a 12-hour event. I think that's what I would recommend to people is even if it's not high intensity or necessarily hard, again, in quotes, but you just need to practice being on your feet for as many hours as the event's going to be or staying awake or, or, or something like that. It, it would be like if you had someone who was training for a marathon, but they only ever ran one mile. Yeah, I think that's what I see a lot of people training for is doing really high intensity stuff. They're going to do 400 burpees as fast as they can, but that's all the training they're doing on this on a Saturday because it was so hard and now they're wiped out, but they're training for a 12 hour event. Yeah. Now I, I'm, I'm a big fan of volume, right? Like I, for me personally, the, the times I've PR, even for like, even when I was training for like road running, I PR'd my 5K road run times when I was training for a marathon because my aerobic volume was was so big that uh, I could run a lot faster. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, time on feet's huge. So you know, I, uh, for special forces selection, they a lot of times they they give us a like a training pamphlet, a suggested training pamphlet. And I used to always tell people like, make sure you do all the long rucks in there again because you need mm-hmm. to get used to standing on your feet. And mm-hmm. it, it, time on feet matters a lot. And I think with your both of your jobs, um, just standing around even in the gym, that's that's like a good solid base to start off on. And then if you go for long workouts in addition to that, right now you're you're essentially starting on tired feet. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I get done coaching in a day and I've walked easily and not even stepped outside to go on a walk has easily collected 20,000 steps on my watch. And I hadn't even like intentionally gone out for like a walk anywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where we actually use our coaching classes and we'll coach with like weight on, right? Because 
a lot of these events too as well, especially when it comes to the death race or even like during my 36 hour event, I had to get used to being under load for a long duration of time as well. So when I'm coaching, when either of us are coaching and we're coaching three to seven classes, that's three to seven hours that could be used for training. And so there'll be times we'll, we'll throw a weight vest on or we'll throw a pack on while coaching classes just to be under load during that time of three to seven you know, hours in that day. Gotcha. Good stuff. All right. Uh, Weston, I'm going to jump back over to you for, let's talk a little bit about CBD. You said you're doing uh, research focused on CBD and muscle recovery. So, you know, CBD, relatively new product in the athletic world. You know, it, I watch people advertise and promote brands and they're like, this fixed my knee. It helps me sleep deeper. <laughs> it helps me stay awake longer. You know, it's like, it, it's, it seems to do everything. So, you know, can I get a sneak peek at some of your research and kind of what, you know, what do you see the benefits or maybe some of the drawbacks of? So as a as a military member of the military, we're not allowed to use CBD right now. So they, they say mm-hmm. we can't use it because, you know, may can train trace of THC if you get like a not reputable company and then mm-hmm. you lose your lose all your benefits, et cetera. So, um, so, so yeah, let's things. start. Let's start with maybe the the shady side of CBD in terms of. Yes, WADA has taken CBD off its ban list. So, um, like an Olympic athlete can technically train with and and perform while using CBD products, but basically everyone exactly sounds like is the military as well. Uh, Olympic level, professional level, they are still recommended not to touch CBD products because the quality control of most companies in the United States is just non-existent. So the chance that you're getting a product that has THC in it and possibly a lot of THC in it is uh, definitely not zero. I don't want to say likely there have been a couple studies on this, Um, but I, I would say it's fair to guess that your product that you're using, you know, on your knee that hurts or something that's a CBD lotion probably has some THC in it. Or if that bottle doesn't, the next bottle you buy from the same brand might. So that's definitely a big thing because right in the United States, our supplements are not federally regulated. So there are some quality control issues that are are certainly a hurdle to pass when we're talking about CBD as an, an athletic supplement that's either going to help recovery or reduce pain or help extend um, endurance, which theoretically has the potential to do all of those things as well as maybe possibly help you sleep better. Um, It is always kind of a red flag when there's one product that says it's going to, you know, make you faster, stronger, sleep better in less pain and grow muscle more. (laughs) No matter what that product is, it probably is a red flag, right? There's not too many things that are that good. Um, so that, that's kind of the, the shady side of CBD. The cool side of CBD is, like you said, this is relatively new. Um, I think there's only about five studies, maybe six, in the whole world that have been, post, or that have been uh, researched and published looking at um, the effects of CBD in a sports 
environment in terms of improving athletic performance. Uh, most of those metrics look at some type of pain recovery after exercise. So you go work out, you lift really heavy at the gym, you come home, you put some type of topical lotion on your muscles, or you're taking a CBD capsule um, for some hope of pain recovery. So then the next day you can go back and train and you don't feel as sore. That's probably what most products are marketed at right now. Um, mm -hmm. There's also the sleep side of it. So, you know, you're sleeping better, you're recovering better through all of the real things that sleep helps with recovery. Then you can train either more volume or weight or whatever the next day. Um, my research is looking at, um, the performance in recovery. So our first study, we are doing some muscle damage. So we're making people extremely sore that aren't used to working out and we're doing, um, some testing whether CBD is decreasing muscle pain, muscle soreness versus a placebo. So some muscle soreness. Um, and then in the future, we are planning at looking at CBD during an event. So we're putting people on a bike for some controlled endurance um, uh, performance. And we're going to give them the same idea, some CBD versus a placebo to see if um, a trained individual can ride or perform better while taking CBD right before or during an event to see if that pain um, uh, minimization during the event kind of tricks them into thinking that their muscles aren't as tired or as sore as they actually are so they can push a little bit harder or push a little bit longer during an endurance event. Um, right now, we don't have the results from those things. Um, okay. But most likely what I think we'll end up seeing is that a product that's something like 95% CBD, 5% THC is going to be kind of the, the magic bullet, mm -hmm. um, which unfortunately means it's out at least right now while THC is federally illegal military, right? Then that means it's not, it's not a uh, good to go for the military. It's still banned. It would still be banned for WADA. So, higher level athletics, but your recreational athlete, your guy next door that is, you know, trying to work on his deadlift in his garage gym, um, which no, no shade on that at all. My, my, that's basically us. Um, they might have a product that can help them. And, and the understanding of why CBD and THC kind of unlock each other we don't quite know yet. There, there's some research into it, but this is a relatively new area of research, especially on the athletic side, which is why I am so excited to be doing my PhD on it because it's a lot different than doing some studies on things that have been known or thought to have been really well understood for the last hundred years. You really have to carve out kind of a unique niche. Okay. My research in this field, because it's relatively unknown, could be setting kind of the foundation for a lot of future research. So even when I finish my PhD, we might not have specific answers 
for how much CBD, what level of milligrams, how often should be taken? Is it relative to body weight? Is it relative to gender? There'll be a lot of other researchers coming behind me mm. to hopefully answer those questions and nail down the details. My research is kind of poised to just theoretically prove that CBD has promise in the field or not. I mean, my research could all be, be negative and then, it, then it's not necessarily dead in the water. Someone might come back later and say, I didn't know what I was doing and they're going to try something slightly different. But um, answers are probably still three or five years away if you're talking about real specific. Like if you're a man that weighs 185 pounds and you do strength training, I need to be taking, you know, 50 milligrams of, of CBD every day, morning and night with a meal. If you want that level of detail, we're three to five years away at least. Gotcha. No, that's fascinating. And I'm glad I, so I've, I've been, I've been wanting to touch on CBD for a while now, but I, I couldn't quite find the right person to come on and talk about it. Cause you know, there's the, the brand is obviously, if I get a brand person, they're going to be like, yeah, you should do it because that's literally <laughs> how I make money. Or if I, yeah. do, I get a sponsored athlete again, I usually just grab sponsored athletes, but Again, with it being so new, I didn't want to grab them because a lot of times they're like, no, it works because the brand told me it works. And I, yeah. I have a great placebo effect that says it works. So, oh, yeah. You know, so I appreciate all your insight. That was, cool. that was really good. Um, good. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah. Cool. Anything to add, Taryn? Any, uh, any opinions no, on your side? Um, not when it comes to CBD. I did do, I mean, cause especially with this being um, strength and speed, my, I actually did a thesis over, power and strength and how it was affected over a long duration of time. So the ultimate suck event, I, before I actually completed and participated in the 36 hours, I did um, my research over the participants in one of, one of the years. Um, so I could, we could talk about that if you'd like. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Give us, give us a quick rundown. I'm oh, it was always cool. interested in so, science stuff. Um, you know, it's not something that can just be, related back to the general population, but it does. I looked at power and strength. So when it came to power, I looked at um, vertical jump. When it came to strength, I did grip strength and back strength. Um, just to kind of see throughout a full 36 hour event, when, at what point is there a specific time that everything kind of just like just drops off and gets to a point where it just gets into ma maintenance mode and that's where it stays and there is no recovery no matter what you do during that 36 hour event or again any um anything longer than kind of that 24 hours um i will say a couple of the points i mean it was five years ago or so i did it but a couple of the points that i remember um on the vertical jump i had somebody who was on so much adrenaline rush that they finished when they got done with the 36 hour, they came over and jumped higher than they did mm. at the very beginning baseline test, just because they were in had so much adrenaline in them. And so stoked, like just finishing that they jumped higher, which that was pretty cool. That was like from there though, when it came to the actual power um, and strength version of it, anything after 24 hour mark does not, from my study, um, it was a small sample size, but did never, like never recovered. So 
back strength, grip strength, and vertical jump dropped after the 24 hours, and you saw no recovery back from that. The grip strength beforehand would show recovery back and forth depending on what tasks they were doing. So like if they were carrying buckets and stuff for a while, their grip would drop, but it would always recover back up after, you know, a couple hours off of grip. But after 24 hours, it never showed any recovery after that. The back strength, um, I will say, did drop quickly within the first 12 hours. Um, actually within the first six hours. And then after that, it just stayed in a maintenance mode and never recovered or, um, got any worse though, which was kind of cool to see. So those are a couple of little tips and stuff when I, well, at least what I found from my strength, um, and power thesis I did. Cool. What was your, what was your sample size? Just out of curiosity. Um, I want to say if I remember it was like around 20 people. Oh, that's more than I was expecting. That's pretty good. Actually. I'm, yeah, I'm, so- I'm impressed. It was enough to at least be able to like say, okay, the data, you know, shows what it, what it is showing is maybe good versus it being, you know, like five people and you're like going off of, well, this is just how this person feels. Yeah. So I did a, um, when I was in college, we did a sleep study where we kept people awake for, I can't remember how long it was, 24 hours. I think it was 24 hours. And we had one group taking like uh, tests, but just kind of sitting around. And the mm-hmm. other group was exercising. I can't again. I can't remember the details because it was it was almost twenty yeah. years ago at this point. <laughs> but they were they were exercising periodically and doing the test to see if like physical activity would hurt their test scores um, more uh-huh. than the group that was just uh, just sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. So I I, I somehow convinced my uh, my military fraternity <laughs> to volunteer for the sample size. So I think we probably had like seven people in each group. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> And it was just like we were like hanging around. I can't believe they ever everyone like did this. I mean, we didn't pay them anything. They was just like, let's go hang out all weekend and stay awake. And uh, <laughs> you're not allowed to sleep. And like a couple of them were like, like we had one one of my friends. She like snuck off to the bathroom to try to take a nap, and people are like yelling at her, <laughs> <laughs> calling her out. <laughs> but it, the the interesting similar similar things happened where like some people would get really excited about stuff and do like some people's yeah. test scores went up at the end. <laughs> it was like what yeah um and then some people uh for like i was in the part i was part of the experiment because our sample sizes were so small so uh, small we had some other people that were helping administer it and uh, for me personally i found that like i would exercise and i'd be like super wide awake afterwards i'd feel like really sharp and the yeah. second i kind of like my cool down and kind of relax for about 30 minutes i mean i would just get t- incredibly sleepy right like falling asleep standing up and falling asleep anytime you like stop moving stop, so, yep it was like riding a roller coaster for 24 hours you know where you're like uh now i'm tired and um <laughs> but it was it was a fun experiment and it was cool and yeah. with some of with some of your research there from as someone who's done i don't know how many 24 hour ocrs at this point but i what you said feels accurate to me from my my you know sample size of one my personal experience uh Correct. my back strength kind of going into like a steady state and uh, not necessarily getting much worse, especially like, I mean, typically once I get, typically when I'm doing the endurance obstacles, if I can do them for 12 hours, I can do them for 24 typically. Yeah. So uh, I yeah, that-, that was, I think out of all of it, it was probably the coolest thing to see that the back, like within the first like six to 12 hours, it dropped, but it, and it dropped significantly. But then after that, no matter what they did, no matter if like, I think at the closer to the end, the last like eight hours, they had to do like a 13 mile, like, 
ruck with 50 plus pounds in their back. So you would think that would just smoke it, but it just maintained right. and it would never. And for most people, it did never drop any lower, but it never recovered back once it did drop. So it just kind of some fascinating body's cool. kind of cool in that way. Cool. Now it's cool to hear like some of the research backs up uh, some of my personal experience. So. What you feel. Yeah. 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 So with, with Spartan um, or with death race, excuse me. Um, is this a, is this a, I mean, obviously it may change after you, you finish or uh, participate, whatever we're calling it. Right. Like, um, is this a bucket list? Like this is the one, this is my, this is my Mount Everest. Like this is the the thing I I'm like top priority or is this, do you see this as like, Oh, this is a stepping stone to something else or, you know, maybe doing multiple death races or kind of what does the future hold? So the death race, this is going to sound crazy, but it was kind of what I wanted to do for my birthday this year. And it's not even a big birthday. I just, I don't know what it was maybe in like around Thanksgiving last year. I looked over at Taryn and I was like, I think I want to do the death race this summer for my birthday. <laughs> and so that's, that's what we've done. Um, Spartan also has an agogi, which I don't know if you've ever talked about, but it's, it's, uh, about as equally long in duration, but it has more cultural immersion, like bushcraft survival, more like learning how to start fires and tying knots to hold chickens in a pen and learning how to shoot bow and arrows from some tribe in the country that you're visiting. They always do it internationally and they usually do it in a November-ish. And I think depending upon the exact time, that will be happening this year for us as well, probably nice. as our honeymoon. <laughs> um, <laughs> Amazing. So wherever they decide, which they don't announce it, like, but maybe two months before the actual event. So wherever that they decide it's going to be at might just be where our honeymoon is at. <laughs> um, but next year we might try go ruck selection. Um, so that's a 48 hour event. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there's really much more room up in terms of, I guess we could go faster and compete in podium and like the Spartan ultras and things. Um, I know we want to get at least as far as my knowledge is like the death race, the agogi, possibly go ruck selection. Um, some of those like flagship events that these companies run once we complete those. So if, if we don't finish the death race this year, I would say it's 99% chance we'd be back next year for mm -hmm. it. Um, I, I don't see us stepping away from this world really, but I could see us taking a year off and not traveling as much, like just doing the events that are within driving distance or something. And then maybe hopping back into the big ones or so th this isn't an Everest for us, it's it's not necessarily a bucket race, but it's also not really a stepping stone. It's just it's kind of what we do for fun, and it's at the level of intensity or hardness that there's a possibility that we fail. So that makes it interesting to us. Like we're just not going to run Spartans. We're not going to do fifty Spartan sprints this year because there's no chance of fail failure. So it's not fun. Yeah, I get you. No, makes sense. I we've had uh, Christina Armstrong on the podcast before talking death race, and we've had uh, Ronald Tortola talking. I don't know every every endurance event that he had done, which was a lot. Do you, are you familiar with Ronald? 
no, not he's off the, the top of my head. Okay, he's he's based in uh, Texas, so I mean, you may not have crossed paths as much. And then I've read uh, Tony Matisse's book, uh, Legend of Death Race, as well. So oh, that's what they uh, Spartan started there. I think that's what they started their Death Race podcast on. Was that book? It was oh, episode okay. one? I think. Okay. Nice. All right. Any anything we need to touch on before we let you two go? I have a question for you, actually. Yeah. As shoot. you were special forces. Yeah. The still, still the only th- I got about a year left. Oh, still in. I retire still in a year. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I'm nervous about with these events ever is the sleep deprivation. And I know you said you ran your study and I actually done a little bit of sleep deprivation study in my academic past as well. But my real quick spiel on this is as functional adults with jobs and a business to run and training to do tomorrow and a dog to take on a walk and laundry to do and stuff. It's hard for us to realistically have like next weekend, we're not gonna sleep, right? Like, yeah. like for us to to for us to wake up on Friday and to plan to not sleep Friday night, that might be doable. We'll actually not sleep next Friday night. We have a go ruck event, uh, seventy five miler in DC. It's their first one, mm. but for us to actually just like incorporate not sleeping over the weekend into our training really makes Monday hard, especially health consequences of not sleeping properly, circadian rhythm problems, recovering from the volume. So how do you, either as a podcast host that you've interviewed a ton of different people on or special forces member, how do you train for staying sharp, staying physically capable with no sleep? So, I would say it's it's like riding a bike. If you've done it enough times before, you will not have a problem when it when it's time it's go time again. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you've experienced it a couple times, mm-hmm. it, it it it'll it'll just come back to you, right? Like it, the ability to function with very little sleep will come back. I don't think it's something that needs to be retrained uh, repeatedly. Like if you, again, if you if you've done it a couple times in college, you've obviously had a pretty good endurance resume <laughs> here, right? Like you i think you've yeah. got it like I, I would not even be concerned about that i would instead i'd be focused like you said on on the benefits of sleeping a lot leading up especially leading up to the event those last couple of weeks just sleep mm-hmm. as get as much rest as you can especially you know you know i mean you know like as uh kinesthesiology like you understand the importance of tapering right and mm-hmm. uh, yep. resting so you know you really want to for a lot of athletes they need to think you need to think of sleep as part of your workout, right? Like that is, especially those last two to three weeks that your workout is sleeping. Like if you're given a choice between getting up and going for a couple mile run, because that's part of your schedule, like, no, no, sleep in, do the run later in the day. And if it doesn't happen Mm -hmm. later in the day, who cares? You've already put the money in the bank, right? Like the the investment's already there. Um, And then when there's something we call at, so there's something at Ranger School we call leadership energy, right? So, when you are, and maybe you've experienced this at some of the go ruck type stuff where they rotate who's in charge, but if you're mm-hmm. just like a, a pawn, just kind of going through the motions and you don't really have any responsibility, a lot of times it's a lot easier to fall asleep and start droning and um, 
you know, it's just hard to stay focused. But when someone puts you in charge, all of a sudden you have you are hyper aware and hyper focused, and you are capable of staying awake and being attentive much more than the average person in the group. Mm-hmm. So that's just something. That's just something we we personally experience when we go through a lot of these training courses. The, the only problem with that is like I talked about with the sleep study, a second they pull you out of the leadership responsibility, those people <laughs> shut down so hard. So yeah. we, there's like an unwritten rule that if you're in a leadership position in ranger school, and because uh, so those are typically assigned for grading, when they put you back into their a normal duty position, there's a couple of leadership positions that are not graded. As a general rule, you never put someone who just came out of leadership back into a non-graded leadership position because they're smoked their body is just completely destroyed um Mm -hmm. and your brain like you you can take short naps and your brain doesn't realize it was only asleep for a couple of minutes and then wake (laughs) up and feel refreshed and it's not the same as sleeping a long time but you can fool yourself for short periods where you're like oh mom i slept for four and a half minutes i am refreshed (laughs) And, uh, you know, we talked about a lot of the you know, the power of mind and mindset and the uh, it, it totally works. It's just uh, um, and like you said, there's when it, so, just like with your uh, strength study, there's a point when you don't really get any worse, like similar with like extreme sleep deprivation. I feel like there comes a point where you're just kind of stumbling around and your body will your body will naturally go through waves where sometimes you'll just be you'll be almost completely useless. Yeah. And someone's someone's literally like has to drag you around <laughs> and you don't know. I mean, I, I've been on security like uh, during practice missions at Ranger School and had absolutely no idea where I was. Like if I didn't have a buddy with me, I, I could even tell you where my where we left our platoon. Like I know they're behind <laughs> me. I can tell you like a 180 arc where they were, but I could not even point in a general direction beyond that. Um, <laughs> I like that. That'd make a good morale po- uh, patch for some of the bags. Almost completely useless. Yeah. So right on it, the back of the bag. So the, you know, special forces assessment selection. You you are tired a lot, and you do fall. You do start droning. Uh, but mm-hmm. it, Ranger School is the ultimate drone fest. I mean, people are. I mean, just completely useless. It's. <laughs> It's a disaster, and they – it's funny. At, at graduation, they do a Rangers in Action demonstration where they showcase, like, uh, essentially the, the instructors getting out of a Zodiac, a boat, and then they, like, repel and stuff like that. And as students, we always used to laugh because, like, you know we didn't look anything like that during our missions, like our practice missions. <laughs> I mean, we were – you got 550 cord hanging off of you because your weapon is tied to you. You're, like, falling over. You're dragging things. Some dude's asleep on the boat, and you got to, like, wake him up. <laughs> I mean, it is it is such a disaster, but it shows that regardless of how bad you are, there's always that baseline level of like functioning mm-hmm. where you can. It's not going to look pretty, but you you can get by. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a maybe not so short yeah. answer of it. All right. Hopefully that helps. I'm, I'm glad I asked. I'm looking forward to being almost completely useless. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it, it'll come in waves, right? So. You know, just if you're falling, if you're falling asleep and you still have another thirty hours left, man, just like, just ride the struggle bus for a couple hours, and then your body will, like, the sun will rise and you'll you'll feel better, and then you'll be like, all right, yeah, oh yeah, so oh yeah, and the sleep a lot, obviously the week beforehand, yeah, I can't I can't stress that enough. I just can't stress yeah. that enough. 
the, <laughs> and those REM caps I mentioned, or if you, if you have melatonin or something, um, oh, especially yeah. the night before. So I typically don't take any of that stuff when I go to bed because I have no problem falling asleep. I have problems mm-hmm. staying asleep. So I'll fall mm-hmm. asleep, yeah. wake up three hours later, then take the melatonin, the REM caps, and that'll knock me back out. And I typically put on like a documentary or something, something with a lot mm-hmm. of long pauses, and it takes my mind <laughs> off the impending race and allows me to focus yeah. on something else. So just yeah. some personal tips. Awesome. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. So we – one last question before we officially let you go, or I guess two more questions. So tell us something people would be surprised to know about you, and it can be anything you want. The more random, the better typically. Um, okay. I'll go first. Um, the one thing that usually – is probably random or surprises most of my members at our studios and stuff um, is because I am so physically active and stuff. I don't like vegetables. Um, I've tried all vegetables and I just do not like them. I'm a meat and potatoes person. I can't even eat carrots. Um, I can't, I don't do salads. I have tried incorporating and eating and tricking my mind into it but i just literally throw them up each time vegetables are disgusting you actually do you actually throw them up i don't throw them up but i i will force them down but they i yeah i can't get it makes you like it's like nauseous nauseating correct yeah i can't get through my mom even when i was a kid used to hide like a pea and like a spoonful of cottage cheese and stuff just random one spoon, and I would upchuck the one spoon that she put the pea in. What about sm- smoothies? Can you do like smoothies that's, and mixed with fruit? That's the only way I can trick okay. myself in um, is by tossing, but it has to be a bunch of fruit in it. Like I can throw spinach in there, but if it if I drink a smoothie that tastes like a vegetable, like we've tried <laughs> to juice vegetables, I just it's just I can't. They're all they all of them are nasty to me interesting that's a good that's a good Tried. one <laughs> weston what do you got uh well, first of all it's true i've tried to cook her like brussels sprouts in bacon and stuff and she just eats all the bacon out and leaves all the brussels sprouts so it's true um let's see for me most random fact about me is i am a secret nerd I don't know. Maybe as a college professor, that's not that weird, but Ooh, good playing company. video games, Magic the Gathering, <laughs> cards. I don't oh. know. For someone who's going out and doing like a thousand burpees for a workout, and then I come home and enjoy nerding out with uh, my nerd friends. Nice. Favorite. So I've played Magic, I think, like once or twice. So not, not my forte, but I, I do love nerdy stuff. What are the other, some of the other like uh, genres or brands rather? You like so Star Wars, Lord games. of the Rings? Oh, yeah. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, okay. um, Star Wars. <laughs> but, yeah, video – like, so those books and movies, um, video games. I, I, I did play a lot more video games when I was a little bit younger. It's, I, I don't have as much time on my schedule for it now. But uh, a lot of uh, League of Legends, played a lot of Halo and Call of Duty. Uh, nice. Just, yeah. Good stuff. good stuff. So yeah. you, again, you're you're in good company. I'm big nerd here. I went. We were uh, when we were filming Ninja Warrior. I had a day off, and I went to Disneyland specifically to go to Galaxy's Edge, and it was like the greatest day of my life. 
40-year-old <laughs> adult male walking around by himself, just like <laughs> smiling like an idiot. I spent like three hours in Galaxy's Edge just like doing drinking blue milk and the green milk <laughs> and building. It was seriously one of the best days ever. <laughs> I had so much fun. Um, that's oh, fun. That's yeah, great. that's great. All right. Uh, any final shout outs you want to give friends, family, sponsors, etc.? Oh, I actually have one. If since we talked about CBD, I have a, a online survey going right now at cbdstudy.org. It's a um, kind of just trying to get the pulse of uh, the athletic community. I think you have to be physically active for five or more hours a week, but it's like anything. You could be CrossFit, Zumba, running. You just have to be getting sweaty somehow for about five hours a week or more. Um, And really... I'm just trying to kind of get the pulse of people. Are they using CBD? Do they think CBD is the devil's lettuce? Do they think CBD should be legal? Should it be illegal? And this is open for people of every country on the planet. So if you're listening to this podcast and you don't live in the United States, that's even better because I happen to know all of our laws pretty well, but I might not know the laws in your country. So I'd love to hear from you. Good one. Yes, yeah, so we'll uh, make sure send over that link after this, and we'll drop it in the show notes uh, for anyone who wants to help out. Cool. Stuff. Thanks, Paranate. You got anything? You got anything else? No, I think that's it. Good. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thank you both for coming on. For those of our listeners, head over to teamstrengthspeed.com or ultraocrman.com. They both it takes you to the same website. We've just released the Ultra OCR Man documentary by uh, Bobby Ross. So he shot a 24-minute documentary covering uh, two of the Ultra Endurance charity events I've did and uh, created into a nice, beautiful storyline, beautifully shot, shot, edited, produced, et cetera, all by Bobby Ross. So it came out really good. Uh, the link's on there. It's available for $9.99. gives you access to either stream it and or download it. it. It gives you both, essentially. So if you're not sure if you want to watch it, and you want to see if some of Bobby's other material, you can head over to the Strength and Speed YouTube page and search for OCR Everest. Uh, that covers the uh, – that's a 10-minute mini documentary. It covers the charity event I did last year. So OCR Everest is the free one on YouTube. Ultra OCR Man is the pay-for-one uh, via the web – the Gum Road is the distribution platform. But it's – you can just – again, you can just find it off TeamStrengthSpeed.com. And then we also just got in all of our Blegmet styles and sizes, so small, medium, large, light, and extreme. All of them are in stock. That will be the last resupply probably through Toughest Mudder uh, through the kind of early fall. So you can head over and check that out. And if you like a lot of the endurance talk, uh, you can check out my latest book. It's called On Endurance, available on Amazon or, or off the TeamStrengthSpeed.com website, available in digital or hard, hard copy. Basically... I've taken lesson learned from the last 200 or so podcast episodes, condensed them into a couple of like key takeaways and made a book out of it and interviewed a bunch of OCR athletes. They have little like vignettes in there so you can kind of pick cherry pick some of their lessons learned over the course of their racing careers. Weston and Taryn, thanks for coming on. Uh, you guys are Thank you very much. wealth of knowledge. Um, yeah, really enjoyed hearing some of your input uh, and, uh, you know, picking your brains a little bit. It's been great. And uh, best, wishes, yeah. best wishes on the death race. Maybe we'll uh, hit me up after it's over. And maybe we'll do uh, like an after action report style, uh, you know, mini episode and 
Yeah, yeah sure. that'd be fun. Let me know how it went and maybe some lessons learned and you know what you would do differently and what went well, et cetera. All right. Sounds yeah, great. sounds good. All right. We'll catch all you later. All right. Thank you thank very much. You.